Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. So can we put our hands together for the king? He is among us. The Bible says that whenever two or three worshipers get together, he is among us. So we're happy for that. And today we're going to continue the series. How many of you guys were here last week and the week before? Raise your hand. Both weeks. Last week and week before. Okay. How many of you guys were here at least one of the last two weeks? Raise your hand. Okay. Some of you guys. Awesome. We started this series titled Passion for His Presence. Passion for His Presence. And and we're just trying to get into worship and trying to get into biblically what it is to to worship God. But I want to start today talking about a story that happened. It's a true story. It happened a few years back, 1977 actually. There was a lady named Maria Rubio from New Mexico. She was getting everything ready and preparing a burrito. How many of y'all like burritos? How many of of you guys know that Chipotle is going to be in heaven? Come on. Yes, yes. Chipotle's going to be in heaven. The Lord told me. Uh, So this lady was preparing a burrito when she noticed that the skillet marks on one of her tortillas resembled the face of Jesus. Lady freaks out. So excited, Maria showed the tortilla to her husband. She started showing it to her neighbors. You know how Latin people are. And they all agreed, man, for sure, the tortilla bore the image of Jesus' face. Well, after her neighbors gave her the okay, Maria took her tortilla to the priest so he can bless it. She testified that the tortilla definitely changed her life. And her husband, Mr. Rubio, testified and confirmed that since the arrival of the blessed tortilla, Maria had been happier. She'd been more at peace. And she even was more submissive to her husband. So he was praising the Lord. Uh, The priest, not used to blessing tortillas, thought twice about it, but ended up praying and blessing the tortilla. So after this, Miss Rubio came back home with her tortilla. She placed it in a frame and put cotton balls all around it to make it appear as if the tortilla was floating in the clouds. It's a heavenly tortilla, right? So she made a special shrine for it and took it to her backyard and started opening it up to visitors. True story. In a few months, 8,000 people came to the tortilla altar. And they all agreed that the burn marks on the tortilla was definitely the face of Jesus. Two years later, 35,000 people had visited the exhibition. For 28 years, people, pilgrims came to see the holy tortilla. Recently, Ms. Rubio's granddaughter decided to take the tortilla to her school for a show-and-tell session. And someone inadvertently dropped the tortilla and it broke or shattered into a thousand pieces and that was the end of the holy tortilla now stories like this i'm sure you guys have heard stories about this somewhere you just gotta go to google and you gotta type in um food with jesus apparitions you're gonna find i did that actually and you're gonna find bananas you're gonna find pancakes You're going to find plantains, oranges with the face of Jesus. And people, hundreds, sometimes thousands, like in the case of Maria, getting together to worship these things. It may sound a little bit funny to you, but it's actually sad because in today's world, it's easier to find distorted examples of what worship is than to find authentic worship or Bible-based worship principles. So that's what I want to try to do today. What exactly is worship? Let's talk about what worship is. And the best place to go is the Bible. The Bible is what tells us what is worship. It's it's the center of everything the Bible commands us to do. When we talk about worship, we talk about everything that is in the Bible. If I am not worshiping in spirit and in truth, and we learned that last week, right? John chapter 4 verse 23 says that God is seeking worshipers that will worship him. How? In spirit and in truth. So if I'm not worshiping that way, everything else in my life will be spiritually out of sync. 
If I'm not worshiping, not the way I think, but the way that God established in his word, then my life in the spiritual realm, because we are mind, right? I mean, we are body, we are soul, but we're spirit as well. Everything that has to do with my spirit will be out of sync. So the theme of worship dominates the entire Bible from beginning to end. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, you'll see that the Bible talks about worship. We see it in Genesis when, um, when Adam, we discover that Adam's fall happened when he stopped worshiping God, disobeying his command, when God told him, listen, you can eat out of all the trees, but this one, the tree of the good, the science of good and evil, you will not eat. The minute he disobeyed, we see that he stopped and, and the worship that he was giving, giving God, it stopped. If we go all the way to the end of the Bible, the last book in the Bible, it's called Revelation. And it's actually pretty cool. It talks about all the things that we still haven't seen or that are shaping up now and that will be. It talks about the end of this earth. There's going to be an end of this earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. If you haven't read it, you got to read it because it's going to happen. It's faithful and it's true, right? And at the end of Revelation, of that last book in the Bible, it says that, um, it says that it's going to culminate, all of history will culminate with an eternal community worshiping face-to-face in the presence of an almighty and loving God. That's how we're going to end up. We start off worshiping. God created Adam and Eve and God created humanity so that we can worship God. And we're going to end up worshiping, worshiping God for the rest of uh, eternity. So we need to know exactly what is worship. So I want you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, since we're seeing biblical principles with respect to worship. And this is one of the first commandments that God gave his people. He said, listen, O Israel. All right, in the Old Testament, God's people was who? Israel. New Testament, it's all of us. Everybody who has confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So I want you to put yourself in this you know, you're, you're part of Israel. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Which means that there is no second. He does not share his glory with anybody. There is not many gods as some cultures may think or may, may uh, teach. There is only one God. In my Bible, I underline that. The Lord alone. And then verse 5 says, and you must love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The beginning of worship is loving God this way. Biblically, with everything we got. I can't love God on good days. I can't love God when it's convenient. I can't love God with 50% of my being. God wants me to love him with all my heart, with all my strength, with everything I got, with all my soul. And this, people, is a call to worship and it's a call to worship God and God alone everybody say God alone just him in Mark chapter 12 we see Jesus and Jesus brings the same passage that we just finished reading in Deuteronomy he brings it and and he starts sharing it he recalls this passage to affirm worship as the universal priority more even more so then breathing, it's more important that we worship. And you might be saying, well, pastor, if we don't breathe, we don't live. Well, we need worship to live. What good does it do to you if you're alive in body, but you're not alive spiritually? Uh, so many people ignore that there's a spiritual being inside of you. And it's sad to see people go through their lives not knowing that there's spirit inside of us. There's, you see, when God created mankind, he breathed on us. Spirit, he, from his essence, he breathed on us. And that's when a human being became a live human being. Because there's, there's something spiritual inside of us. So I want you to understand this. Look, when God talked about all the creation, if you read Genesis 1, I remember as a kid, I used to love looking at the illustrated Bible. And I used to love seeing the creation and how God created the heavens and earth. I've always been... I've always been enamored with the underwater world. So I, God created, you know, the sharks. He created, you know, the coral reefs, the Great Barrier Reef. He created everything. And if you look at the Bible, God only uses 31 verses 
to talk about all of creation, the moon, the stars, how he separated the earth, uh, the, 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 the land from the water. Everything, he explains it in 31 verses. But when it comes to worship, when it comes to the tabernacle, and we've been talking a little bit about this, he used 243 verses or seven entire chapters to describe all the details of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle actually represented or spoke about the emphasis or the priority of God with worship. The tabernacle was the place where in the Old Testament, God met with people. Obviously, not like we are meeting right now. There was a big, like we talked or spoke about last week, there was a big curtain that separated, separated the Ark of the Covenant because that's where God's presence represented. That's where he was. That's where he lived. So God was way too holy. And since man was a sinner, we couldn't enter the holiness of God because we're marked with sin. So once a year, the high priest could only go into there. But that Ark of the Covenant and the whole tabernacle as a whole represented worship. It represented um, the worship. And one of the curious things about the tabernacle, it's not like church today. You guys are sitting down. You guys are comfortable, right? Good seats, by the way. There weren't any seats in the tabernacle. Why? Because the tabernacle wasn't a place where you sit down and listen to somebody speak. The tabernacle originally was a place where you go to offer God. Where you would go and take an offering and say, God, you've been so good to me. And this is from my family. You know, usually the man would come and this is, this is what we present. This is the offering that we bring to you. And it was a place of worship. Because worship has to do with we giving worship and exalting God and giving God glory instead of us receiving. See, sometimes we can fall into the mistake of coming to church, seeing what we can get out of church. And don't get me wrong. God speaks to us. God challenges us. I believe that God heals. God does amazing things. But usually all those things happen when God finds a heart of a worshiper that comes with the right intention. That comes with an intention to say, God, I am so grateful just to be alive. Just to know that if I die today, something crazy happens, I have everlasting life. That all my sins are not counted against me, but that have been washed by the blood of Jesus. God, how can I not come into your gates with Thanksgiving. How can I not come with a desire to clap when we're singing and give you praise and not wait for people to tell me, hey, let's say amen. No, because God, you've been so good to me. And I'm going to come on time. <laughs> I don't know who the Lord's speaking to. But I'm going to come. Why? And I'll, and I'll get to that a little bit later on. But that's, it's, it's, we show how much we love God. And what revelation we have that when we come to a place like this, we're not just coming to listen to a pastor. We're coming to worship God and God is in this place. And he is pleased with our worship when we worship in spirit and in truth. So in the spirit of worship, can we give God a praise offering? Can you put your hands together and make some noise for him? Let's go. So all these things in, in today's church now, uh, it's normal to find people practicing a populist religion that focuses on self-love, self-esteem, self-fulfillment, personal success, all me, 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 me. And we come thinking, God, give me, give me, give me. But all those things point people in the opposite direction of worship. Because if you, if you read the Bible, worship is not about me, 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 me. It's about him. It's all about him. Amen. So worship, we are taught in the Bible, is how I can decrease so that God can increase in my life. You guys remember that? Ever read, ever read that? Yeah. I must decrease. Paul said that so that God can increase in my life. Jesus said that. Uh, worship is dying to myself. No, not just not grabbing a knife and puncturing your heart. It means dying to your will and understanding that God has better plans for you than the plans that you can draw for yourself. And sometimes those plans crash and you have, to, you have to make a decision whether it's going to be God's plans or yours. And it takes faith to make the right decisions and say, God, I trust you. You will never do me wrong. So if you have something different, I'm here. I'm willing to lay my life down and die to myself, die to my plans so that your life would start to be evident through me. Sometimes we want God's life to be evident in our lives but we're not willing to lay our lives down. So God waits on you and he says, well, I'm going to wait for you to lay your life down 
so that my life could be evident in you. Worship is also to surrender completely so that his will will be done in me. And when God finally finds a true worshiper who obeys him unconditionally, God promises that his blessings will overtake him. See, when you're not focused inward and you're always focused on God, focused on helping people, blessing people because you were blessed to be a blessing. The Bible says, even in Deuteronomy, right there where we just read, the Bible says that blessings will, will chase after you and overtake you. So many people are so busy chasing after blessings. It doesn't work that way. Serve God with all your heart. And then the blessings will come on your back. They'll chase you and overtake you. How many of you believe that God blesses? Come on, put your hands together. And we honor God because he loves us that way. So check this out. If you go to the book of Leviticus, you know, it's one of those books that it's difficult to read because it talks about all these 231 verses of the tabernacle and it gives specific details. But just to sum it up, the first seven chapters of Leviticus talks about offerings and seven different types, or different types, not seven. The seven chapters talk about different types of offerings that one had to come in the Old Testament and present to God. And there were all kinds of grain offerings and burn offerings and all kinds of crazy offerings. People used to give a lot of offerings back then and, um, and still do. And this is, it's curious because out of all those offerings, a lot of those offerings, when you brought them, some of those offerings you were you would participate of them. You would give it to the priest. They would burn the animal because back then the offerings were in the form of an animal. They would burn the offering and then the priest would eat of the animal and, and also as you were cooking it, the aroma will go up to heaven and God would receive that as an offering. Some offerings, it wasn't just the priest sharing and eating of the offering. The people or the family that would present the offering would also partake of that. How many of you guys remember the famous story of Egypt when the angel of death passed over um, all the Hebrews' house, the Jewish people, and God told them, look, there's going to be an angel of death. The way that that angel is not going to kill the firstborn is that if you paint with the blood of a sheep the doorpost of your homes, and then as the angel passes over, thus, you know, what we know as Passover today, when the angel passes over, when he sees the blood of the lamb, that's been painted on the doorpost, he's going to pass on and nothing's going to happen to that home. And inside the home, while all this is happening, you guys are going to eat the lamb. Lamb chops, right? Lamb chops for dinner. So they were eating the lamb, and, and that was one of the offerings that God stipulated that they could eat of and also offer to God. But check this out. There was one offering from Leviticus chapter 1 through 7 just one, and it was the first one and the most important one. It was burnt offerings, and, and this is how it's different. Burnt offerings was the type of offering that you offered God and God alone. You didn't need of it. The priest couldn't need of it because it was something special. It was something sacred. It was the first offering, and how many of you guys know that God deserves the first of everything? God deserved the, deserves the best of everything. So this offering spoke about worship and about God's position in the life of a worshiper. That first offering always had to be of God and cannot be touched, cannot be shared with nobody, not the priest and not the person that was offering. It was always first and best. So I want to talk to you today as we, uh, for, for the few minutes that I have left, I want to talk to you about four different kinds of unacceptable worship. Four different kinds of unacceptable worship. Because we're talking about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We want to make sure that we're worshiping God the right way. At least I do. How about you guys? Yeah? Okay. So here's the first one. The first incorrect way of worshiping God is worshiping false idols. Everybody say false idols. Okay. I'm going to share this. Uh, go to the Word so you guys could see. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 11. And I'm reading all my verses from the New Living Translation. It says, I, and this is God speaking, I will not share my glory with idols. Is it clear? Yeah. I will not share my glory with idols. If you go to Isaiah, but now chapter 42, verse 8, it says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else. 
nor share my praise with carved idols. Same concept. God does not share his glory with anybody. He is the man. He is the one that deserves the best. And when we love him and when we worship him, we have to love him and worship him with all our hearts, all our strength, and all our soul. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, it goes even deeper. It says, you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Isn't that crazy? I mean, we talk about a lot of names that God has. He's almighty. He's powerful counselor. Have you ever heard of jealous? That's his name, jealous. His name is jealous. Who you been with? Who you been texting? Who you been talking that's, that you haven't had time to talk to? God is a jealous God. How many of you guys have ever been in a relationship or known somebody that's been uh, jealous? <laughs> you know what I mean. Anybody? Maybe you are with, don't raise your hand if you're with them now. No. <laughs> we don't want no problems in JTP. But sometimes we have the wrong concept of jealous and we think that jealous is just, uh, oh my, who are you texting? Who are you doing? No, no, no. You see, God's jealousy comes from the love that he has for you. You see, it's a healthy jealousy. God can, in another place in the Bible, tell us not to be jealous with, you know, with our wives and with our, and then his name is jealous. No, wait, but it's not that type of jealousy. It's because he's so jealous of you because he loves you. You see, when sin came into mankind, our relationship with God was severed. You know, Adam found something to cover himself up with. You know, a leaf, oh my gosh, we're naked. And God came up and said, hey, hey, Adam, Adam, where are you at? And he was hiding from God. And why are you hiding? Well, God, I don't know, we were naked. What? I've known each other for thousands of years. What do you mean naked? Who taught you that you're naked? Because sin came, their eyes were open, and now they knew the difference between right and wrong. And that caused, when sin came into the world, he kicked them out of Eden because God is a holy God, and where holiness is, sin cannot cohabit. So there was something that's severed, but now through Jesus, you see, God loved us so much that he, he didn't say, oh, you know, these people, they sinned, they turned their backs on me, I'm going to just, he could have just created a whole new race of beings, robots, or he could have done anything. But he loved us so much that he gave his only son so that he could recover what was lost. So you have to understand how much God loves you. You understand that? He loves you so much that he's like, dude, I don't want you to share yourself with anybody else. You are mine. I paid the price of my son because you were important to me. So God doesn't share his glory. He loves us and he doesn't want us to worship other idols. Still, most of the planet worships false gods. Look what Romans chapter 1 says, verse 21. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. I want to stop there for a second. I'm going to keep reading in a little bit, but... You can know God, you can know about God, you could have grown up in church, you could have been in church so many, but that does not mean that you worship God the way he deserves. The problem with these people, and this was practically a church in Rome, it was a city, and these people knew God, but they didn't worship him as God. My question to you, are we worshiping God like he deserves, like a king of kings? Because sometimes we, I don't know, we treat our parents better than we treat God. We spend more time with our BFFs than we spent with God. So you can say all you want that you worship God, but do your actions back up what you say and what you claim? So this church says they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. You see, because when you don't have revelation and when you, when you don't have a relationship with God, your mind starts playing tricks on you and you start coming up with weird ideas. So that's what happened to these people. They started thinking of foolish ideas of what God was like. Lack of true worship results in confusion and distorted ideas of who God is. So as a result, the Bible says their minds became what? Help me out, JTP. It became dark and confused. 
They became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles and all kinds of crazy things, even tortillas. So listen, why am I talking about this? Because everybody was created with the need to worship. Listen, you were created with the need to worship. Right now, sitting there, you worship something or someone. Everybody needs to worship the same way you need to breathe you need to worship. It was embedded in us. We are wired that way. We need to worship. We are spiritual creatures and have the need to worship something or someone. So check this out. When we reject God, inevitably, we end up worshiping an idol. And an idol can be anything. Okay? If we don't worship God, we're worshiping a false god. Even atheists worship you can say, Pastor, I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in my, I don't believe in my mom. I don't, believe, I don't believe in anything. Well, you do worship. What do I worship? You worship yourself. You think you're God. Even atheists worship. Everybody worships something or someone. But an idol or a false God is not something like what some of you guys probably saw your parents do or maybe grandparents do. Most of us are from Hispanic origins, and we know that Hispanics in Cuba and the Caribbean and Latin America, they worshiped idols. You know, there's the Santa Barbara, right? Those who practice Santeria, they have El Egua, San Lázaro, you know, the, the old guy with the dog, right? San Lázaro, there's, they're made carved out by hand. People made those things. But not all idols are those types. You can worship your possessions. You can worship your body. Mm -hmm. You can worship your boyfriend. You can worship your mom. You can worship your wife. You can worship your car. You can even worship our tortilla. So the second time of worship, and I want to get a little bit deeper into this, the second kind of worship that God does not accept is this. I want you to repeat it after me. Say, worshiping the right God but the wrong way. So let's talk a little bit about that. Worshiping the right God. I know who God Almighty is, but in the wrong form or in the wrong way. And to exemplify this, I want you to go to Exodus chapter 32, verse 7 and 8. And it's the infamous story of Moses. And it says, the Lord told Moses this, quick, go down to the mountain, exclamation point. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and they made a calf with the gold. And they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. And they're saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So I want you to notice something. Notice that even though they were honoring God with the lips and they were saying, God, you delivered us from Egypt. Yeah, but what is God? God, we can't see, right? It's a spiritual being. But man, let's make ourselves a calf. So they were worshiping the right God, but in the wrong form. They made this idol and they said, this is the God that delivered. This is God Almighty, the one who delivered us from, from slavery. And they were wrong. You know, many of us came from that background, from parents or from grandparents. My grandmother came from that background as well before she had cancer and almost died. And with 20 days to live, she had an encounter with Jesus, supernatural encounter. And that's when, you know, our life stopped being religious and we got to know the one true God personally. But before that, we were also doing this. And I want you to read with me Psalms 135 because we're... We're talking about, you know, Bible-based worship, right? So Psalms 135, chapter 15, it says, The idols of the nations are merely things of silver and gold, shaped by human hands. Look at the difference. God Almighty is our creator. We worship him. Nobody created him. He is, he's been since the beginning, and he will always be forever. He doesn't have a beginning or end. He's eternal. He is God Almighty. But the idols are things that have been done and shaped by human hands. 
Verse 16 says, they have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes, but what? They can't see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. And mouths, but cannot breathe. And look what 18 says. And those who make idols are just like them. And all who trust in them are as well. That, that word trust also in another version talks about in those who worship him or uh, revere them, right? We're just like them. Oh, Israel, and then he says, praise the Lord, because he is alive. Come on, how many here know that God is alive? Praise the Lord, Israel, descendants of Aaron, praise the Lord. But check this out. It says that they have eyes and they don't see. They have noses, they can't breathe, they have mouth. They can't. What do you call that? Is that something that's alive or is that something that's dead? It's dead. People that bow down to something that man made and say, oh, please, get me out of this situation. And you're bowing down before something that a man made. And what's worse is the Bible says that those who made them and those who worship and ask them for stuff are, are just like them. So if they're dead, that makes us what? Dead, too. And we're worshiping. Not a physical death, but spiritually dead. Don't think that you're going to get anything from them. I heard a testimony back when my dad used to do the tent revivals of this guy that he came from Cuba with his coconut. And it was a holy coconut. This wasn't a tortilla. It was a coconut. And he would ask for the coconut, and the coconut will give him stuff, supposedly. He came, brought it past immigration. I don't know how. Uh, he brought the coconut. He would get his family members, his, and everybody would get together and, and worship the coconut. And the guy lost his family, lost his wife, lost his job, lost everything, and came to one of, one of my dad's crusades. You know, we were, my dad would put tents all over uh, Miami back in the days. And he came to one of the services, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he just grabbed the coconut. He lived in a lake, threw it across the lake, and it hit a rock, and boom, that, that's the end of the coconut. And the, the man started being blessed by God. But why? Because when you worship things made by man, things that are dead spiritually, you are just like them. There are people, and, and I don't want to, I don't, my intention is not to hurt anybody's feelings, but as a pastor, I need to preach the truth. The truth is the Bible. One day, everything you've seen, I always say it, heaven and earth will no longer be. At your house, heaven, Florida, it's not going to be anymore, but the word will be here. The Bible says that. Heaven and earth will pass. His word will never pass. So if there's one thing that you got to make sure you know, it's the word. And look what it says. Because there's some people that I know it's, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Innocently. They offer food to these saints and to these things. You know, they offer them stuff. And the Bible talks about that. Some people offer them money. If you're doing that, please stop, repent, and, and don't do that anymore. Because look what 1 Corinthians 10, 19 and 20 says. Apostle Paul says, what am I trying to say? What, am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance? Or that idols are real gods, God in lowercase? And then he answers himself. He says, no, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. When you offer food to a saint, you know who you're offering it to? Demons. You know what demons are? Fallen angels. The angels that God kicked out of heaven. That they work for Lucifer to try to get you and strip you away from God's call. Okay? And when you open your door to that kind of thing and you start offering these things, you're opening the doors of your home, the doors of your, of your life to the occult, to these, these things, these spirits that work against you. And Paul's telling him, look, don't do that. Recently... I think it was the Mexicans' uh, celebration of Saint Death. Is that how you say it in English? San La Muerte? How do you say it in English? Saint Death? I mean, come on. The, saint, the saint's name is Death. Let me just worship Saint Death. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But um, I, I started researching what do people do? Because Mexicans go crazy about this. They lift up an altar in their homes and they offer them stuff. And I, and I started Googling what do they offer? Well, I found out that they offer them Flowers, food, not just that, tequila, tobacco, and marijuana. Okay, so that saint has a lot of vices. 
And then I'm going to pray for something that's saint to death, you know, and sometimes people are so blinded and we have the word of God that gives us light and gets us out of darkness. Amen? So let me talk to you now about the third kind of worship that God does not accept. And then we'll get to the one that he does accept. All right? Number three, say with me, worshiping the right God, but doing it my way. Anybody know somebody that has told you, no, no, no. I mean, I don't go to church, but I worship God my way. Right? Like the famous Frank Sinatra song. I do it my way, how I think it's right. It's not your way, man. It's God's way. I mean, you could do your way, but it's not going to work. This type of worship is as phony as worshiping idols of plaster, like we just talked about. And I'm going to give you some examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the first king of Israel, his name was Saul. And God was with this guy. He gave him victory over his enemies. God started using him. God had promised this guy that he was going to use his descendants to have an eternal pact. And, and his kids were going to be the future uh, the future kings of Israel. But he did one thing. Well, he did a few things that were wrong. But one of the things that despised God was that they were about to fight their enemies. And they had to, they had to do an offering unto God before they would fight them. And the, the prophet that back then was even more important than the king. Because God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would speak to the king. The king would obey and talk to the people. The prophet Samuel, that we all know, told him, listen, wait for me. I'm going to be there in three days. Don't offer a sacrifice unto God because I will do that. And once we do that, we have God's favor and God will give us the victory. So here it comes. The guy's been waiting there three days. He knows and he hears about the army of the enemies getting ready. They're coming to battle against them. The guy starts freaking out. It's three days. The prophet took a little bit longer. I think he took an extra day, four days. He's not here. Oh my gosh, what happened? So he decided to offer God the sacrifice himself. Everybody say with me, worshiping his way. But the prophet told him, it's not you. You have to wait until I get there. And I, as the, as the prophet or as the high priest, will offer that sacrifice. And then we have God's backing. He didn't do that. So when the prophet got there, Saul was wrapping up his sacrifice and he was getting ready to battle. God's going to give us a victory. And he said, what did you do? That was foolish what you did. Why did you transcend what God told you to do? Because of what you did now, God's going to take the kingdom from you and give it to somebody better than you. And from that day on, the kingdom was stripped from him and his descendants. Why? Because he worshiped God, not God's way, but which way? His way. His way. Let me talk to you about another example. There were two priests... When, when God called Moses, God also called Aaron. Aaron was his brother. And Aaron was the high priest. This guy was like the chief of all the priests there. And um, because Aaron was from the tribe of Levi, all the priest um, descendants of Aaron were going to uh, be the future priests. So the next in line was his son. His, his two sons were Nadab and Abihu. Those were his two sons. So... Here's Aaron. Aaron's getting old already. And it's, his, his, you know, his children have been serving with his dad in the church and in the temple. And they're getting ready. Now they're going to be high priests soon. So they're, they're excited. And the first time they get a chance to offer a sacrifice, they offer what the Bible calls strange fire. The incense that they would offer to God in the offerings were in the form of fire. It was an incense but God called it a strange fire. And the Bible doesn't give us clues as to what made it strange. But what we can see and learn from this is that it wasn't what God wanted. It's what, it was what they wanted to offer God. So they worshiped God their way. You know what happened? Fire came from heaven. Since it was strange fire that they offered, God sent strange fire to them. Consumed them right there on the spot. Let me talk to you about New Testament before we move on. And let's go to the Bible. Let's read this. Matthew 15, verse 1 and 3. We're still on worshiping the right God, but doing it our way. It says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked them, why do you disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. And Jesus replied to them, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? 
You see, these people were putting their traditions, all right, above God's commandments. And nowadays, we gotta, we gotta make certain that we don't get involved with the traditions and, and with the fads of now and what things are happening now to the point that we start putting them before God's word. We gotta make sure that the Bible's first. We gotta make sure that God's principles are first. These people made such a big deal about the, about the disciples washing their hands and God says, wait a second, but, but you're not honoring your neighbor. You're not giving to God what, what you need to be giving to God. So you're putting your, your traditions before God. Everybody say, they were worshiping God their own way. So let me talk to you about the last and fourth type of worship that God doesn't accept. And this one's much more subtle than the other three. Everybody say with me, worship the right God the right way, but with the wrong attitude. Hello. Maybe you're not one to bow down before San Lazaro. Maybe you're not guilty of creating your own way of worship like the Pharisees or like, um, like Saul. But do you worship God with the right attitude? Listen to me. Do you worship God with the right attitude? Is your whole heart involved in worship? When it comes to giving, and I'm not just talking about money. When it comes to giving... Do you give your best? Are you full of reverence and admiration on the inside when you come before God? Knowing who you come before? And in the book of Malachi, there's a beautiful example that God denounces his people. And, and we're talking about church people, right? These are not just people that didn't know God. Church people. He denounces them because they were worshiping God the wrong, uh, well, no, the right way, but as we said a little while ago, with the wrong attitude. So Malachi 1, 7, and 8, we're finishing up. He tells the church, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Another word for defiled is contaminated. You know there's a way, and it's possible for you to offer worship to God, but for it to be contaminated? What happens when you drink, if I give you a glass of water, fresh from a spring, would you drink it? Yeah? What if I give you contaminated water? Would you drink contaminated water? Heck no, right? Well, well, God doesn't receive contaminated worship. Now pay attention what made the worship contaminated. I want to get into this. It says, you defile them, I'm sorry, the people, after God told them that they're showing contempt by offering contaminated sacrifices on the altar, they asked, but God, what do you mean that we're offering contaminated sacrifices in the altar? You defile them by saying that the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? And he starts getting a little bit sarcastic. God can get sarcastic sometimes. He says, try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is. Right? Give contaminated sacrifices to your governor and see how happy he's going to be, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So check this out. This is what people would do. When it was time to give an offering to God once a year and go to the temple, they would, they would have like 100 sheep. Well, let me see which is the one that's bold-legged. <laughs> which is the one that's blind? Which is the one that doesn't, you know, doesn't multiply, doesn't procreate? Which is, which is the worst one? Which is the... That's the next one that's going to be eaten by a wolf. That's the one we're offering God. And they will bring God the worst. They will bring an offering to the right God, but with the wrong attitude. Right? They will bring the crippled. And then God started saying, and he gets upset. Because God always deserves the best. How many say amen? In January, as a church, we always bring our first fruits. Why? Because we, got, we give God our first. That's like our burnt offering, right? Our burnt offering that God gets. He gets all of it. This is yours, God, because you're the one that's going to sustain me. As a matter of fact, let me just deviate a little bit. But a lot of you guys have been sustained during this pandemic because of your first fruits. Because you've gave God your, your best and, and the first of your fruit. And God has made sure that he's protected you all year long. And look what God says when they started giving. Yeah, give God praise. Amen. Malachi 1.10, if you go to 
verse 10, it says, How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless offerings or sacrifices cannot be offered. God was fed up. It's like, stop bringing this offer. Don't even bring anything if you're going to bring that, right? He says, I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. Why? Because, well, they were worshiping God the right way. They were worshiping the right God, but they were doing it with the wrong attitude. So how should we worship? How should we worship? And I'm going to finish with this verse. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 28. It says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let's stop right there. How many of you guys understand the power of that statement? As children of God, we receive a kingdom that is unshakable. You know what that means? That means that God already won. That means that God defeated the worst enemy that we could have had, which is death. He is our healer. And when you understand that you receive this kingdom, this unshakable kingdom, you have revelation and you know how to stand tall and say, God is by my side, even in the worst of circumstances. And it says here, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, since we are on the winner's side, since God already overcame, this is not a bow between God and the devil and see who's going to win. God already won. If you read the book of Revelation, it says that, and the, and the devil was thrown into the lake of fire with, a, with the false prophet. It's going to end up with us winning. So God is telling us, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be what? Thankful. Let us live thankfully and please God. How? By worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Because we are on the side of the winner. Every single day we wake up, even though we have challenges, even though we have bills to pay, we might have been laid off and we don't know how it's going to work out in the future. I can, I can rest assured and start my day grateful because I know that God promised never to leave me. I know that that God whose kingdom is unshakable is by my side all the time. I know that I could trust in him. doesn't mean I'm going to be lazy and not do what I have to do, but I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be I'm going to have faith that God's going to open doors today and, and I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to start my day thankful. That's why the psalmist said, man, whenever you come into the doors of the church, come into his gates with what? With thanksgiving. Thank you, God. Thank you for all the things you've done. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. And even for the things that are going on crazy in my life, thank you because I know you're going to give me a response and an answer for every single one. You're never going to leave me lonely. Amen? So that's how we should worship. Understanding. And this is day in and day out. Monday through Sunday. You wake up. You understand that you have received the kingdom that's unshakable. So I'm going to be thankful every single day. And I'm going to praise God and please Him by worship Him with holy fear. This is not a fear of saying, man, if I don't do right, God's going to strike me. No, it's a reverent fear. It's, it's a fear that's saying, God, how can I not? I got to be careful. I'm going to be fearful to be careful to do something that displeases you because you've been so good to me. I understand how great you are and how much you had to give up so that I can have life. So I'm going to be careful and fearful that I, I don't fall into sin. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray. That's going to lead me to pray. That's going to lead me to, to start walking in the word, to know what God expects from me. I'm going to swallow this thing whole. I'm going to start reading what God wants me to do, what he wants me to stay away from. Why? Because that is holy fear and awe of Lord, of the Lord. One of the most recognized slogans of the 16th century Reformation was sola scriptura. I don't know if you're familiar with that saying. And all it basically means is that only the Bible Sola Scriptura. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. This was Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer. He used that term to describe the absolute sufficiency of God's word. Listen to me. Everything you could ever need, every question that you ever have, right here in the word of God. You have it. Sola Scriptura. That's it. This is all you need. This is your manual to life. If you're not reading the Bible, you're out of it. You're, you're, it's like trying to live life blindfolded. 
Because every God gave us direction. This is your GPS to getting to, to living a blessed life and to pleasing God. Sola Scriptura, that's all you need. That's all you need. You could have done wrong in life. You could have had a, a rough upbringing, whatever. If you have the Bible, and nowadays, anybody has the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you don't have one, we'll give you one. We give people Bibles if you don't have one. But start reading it. Because sola Scriptura, you can live by it. It's His Word, and it's the absolute truth. It's all that you need. It's enough. Live by it, and you can't go wrong. So if you're here today, worshiping God the wrong way, I want, I want to tell you, God is not angry. On the contrary, I think that what God feels sometimes is sadness. Sadness because his greatest desire is to have a relationship with you. He desires you. He loves you. He wants to connect with you. Listen, not through an idol, not historically. He wants to connect with you personally. God speaks. God is a relational God. And that's why sometimes God is saddened. When we worship him and we have these non-biblical ideas of what worship really is, it separates us from God. But when we repent and we come before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I thought I was doing it right. But I'm humble enough today to understand that I, I, was, I wasn't doing it wrong. I was doing it wrong, actually. And I need to change. And I'm here. I'm, I'm willing to start over. See, when we're worshiping God the wrong way, it saddens God's heart. Sad not only because he desires to know you, but also because he knows what we have to go through when we worship incorrectly. There's a fruit that you have to live with when you worship incorrectly. It's only when we worship God in spirit and in truth that we're blessed, that we're on the right road, that we're positioned correctly. So today you can change the focus of your worship. And just give me three more minutes. I want to just wrap this up. And I'm going to tell you why this is important and how, if you've been worshiping incorrectly, how you can start today worshiping correctly. And it's not difficult. It's actually easy. You can correct what is wrong today. First, we need to come before God with a humble heart. You know why? The Bible says that God will never reject a heart that is humble. Never. Never. If you're prideful, God doesn't mess with prideful people. He says, okay, when you get off your high horse, then you come and see me. Right? But when we're broken and when we're humble and we say, God, forgive me. I, I thought I was worshiping you and giving you what you really deserve. But now I realize that I know you, but I'm not worshiping you as God. You deserve more. I'm not worshiping you with all my strength. I'm not loving you with all my soul, with everything my God. You're not first in my life. My burnt offerings is not just to you. I share them with other people, but I humble myself before you. And when you do that, when you start saying, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, God, you know, my, my eyes went after other things that I thought were important or I got distracted. But now I understand that nothing in this world has more value than you do. I realize now that I need you. And that's all it takes to start establishing a life of worship where God is going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit and start having experiences with you as you give them a place. As you start restoring the tabernacle of David, God's going to start speaking to you. Second, we restore the tabernacle of David in our homes. Find a place where you can talk to God daily. And I know you can't see God. I know that. It makes it a little bit difficult. But if you persevere, and if you do this by faith, knowing that he's hearing you, it's going to be a, just a matter of time before you start listening to God's voice speak to you. Maybe not audibly. Maybe not something that you could hear, but he'll speak to your heart. He'll speak to you through his word. You're going to start to tune your ear to God's voice and to discern when God is speaking to you. And you're going to start to be moved by God and directed by God. And God will keep you away from evil and bad decisions that are going to come against you. And God's going to, you know, lead you to the right person, to marry the right person, to, to do and accomplish the purpose for which you are alive. All that comes as a result of a relationship with God and restoring the tabernacle in our homes. Lord, I long for you. I want to know you in a real way. Reveal yourself to my life. And lastly, third, you have his word. Sola Scriptura. That's all you need. That's all you need. You have the word of God. And it's sufficient. The Bible is entirely sufficient to satisfy every single need of the human soul. Read it. 
obey it and let it imprint in your heart and let it guide you every step of the way. These three things that we just mentioned will keep you work, keep your worship aligned with the heart of the Father. It would just birth experiences that you never even thought were possible with God. And I've shared last week that one of the most, most incredible moments that I've had in the presence of God hasn't been in a congregation like this. Has been sitting on my piano in my room, worshiping God. And just with, sometimes without even a song plan. Just words that come from my heart out of my love for him and I just I just start worshiping and sometimes I just sometimes it's not even a word sometimes I just feel the, the, the hands of the loving father because I've been could have been going through a difficult situation I just feel the love of God embrace me it's something you feel and it's like God saying I'll never leave you lonely remember what I promised and all that comes when you start restoring the tabernacle of David so stand on your feet I pray that you don't lose communion just close your eyes if you can where you are as we wrap this up but it all comes up to you you see I'm a pastor my job is to pray to see God and walk a certain way so that God will speak through me I, but I can't I can't force you to worship the right way all, all I'm called to do is to be able to share the word and lead you and give you what the Bible says is the true way of worship But in the end, you're responsible for what you're going to do. You can leave this place like if nothing happened. And, you know, if you're worshiping it correctly, keep on doing it. It doesn't mean that God's going to stop loving you. But you're doing yourself a disservice. You're letting time pass by. And God has plans for your life that he wants to do in you and that he wants to use you to do in others. But if today you humble your heart, like we just spoke, and you say, God... I think it's time. I'm ready to choose you. I'm ready to worship in spirit and truth. And today, we need to decide. Are we going to worship God? Are we going to worship ourselves? Are we going to worship our body? Are we going to worship a tortilla? What are we going to worship today? Whether you will worship the create, are you going to worship the creator? Or are you going to worship the creation? I worship Mother Nature. Who created created nature God created you're going to worship the creation instead of worshiping the creator no my devotion goes to God and I have chosen to worship God exclusively and I know I can't go wrong long time ago there was a guy called um, Joshua and he said this once a lot of people were debating whether to worship God or Baal that was a false God back in those times and he started telling people listen you guys decide who you're going to worship But as for me and my household, we will worship the Lord. And I think we're living those times today where you need to decide. What are you going to do? But if you're going to worship God, you got to do it biblically. You got to do it the right way. And I want to extend an invitation to all those that are here and also to those that are watching us um, on social media. If today you want to lay your life down and you want to just humble yourself and say, God, I didn't know. I didn't even know what worship was, actually. And but today I, I learned that there's a right way of worshiping and that you being so good to us and sending Jesus to die for us, even when we were sinners, man, you've done enough already for us. Nobody's given their life for you but Jesus. And God, I, so that I could have eternal life, so that I don't have to die in sin because the wages of sin is death. But you saved me from that. So, God, I'm sorry. I, I haven't been doing it the right way. I haven't been doing it with the right attitude, but today I want to start worshiping the right way. And I want to open my heart so that you could come and live and teach me how to worship you in spirit and truth. And if that's you today, I want you to do this prayer, whether you're connected online or whether you're here. I want you to close your eyes. And church, let's all support these people by helping out. And say, say with, from the bottom of your heart, Lord Jesus, on this day, I've understood what true worship is. I repent. I'm sorry for not doing it the wrong way. But from this day on, I want to be adamant about doing it correctly. So God, first of all, forgive all my sins. Can you guys help me out? Forgive all my sins. I pray that you forgive every single one of them. My bad decisions. And I pray that you write my name in the book of life. Thank you, God, 
for the everlasting life that you offered me. I am ready to worship you in spirit and in truth. And I know that's going to change my life forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, JTP Church. As we receive Danny, put your hands together and worship the King.